All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. I had the wrong music queued up, and so rather than mess around and uh, wait, wait for the right music to queue up, we'll just go right into it. So, welcome everybody. Restoration Hour, Your Folk Radio. Today is January 6, 2024, and today we're going to be doing part two of our solar calendar study, which uh, we started three weeks ago, but uh, with all of the events going on in Gaza, we did we did a couple of shows about that and how the uh, Israelis of Kyrgyzstan are really getting horrible press around the world and how they're actually getting beat by uh, Hamas and whoever uh, wants to fight them with unconventional warfare such as preventing them from getting through narrow channels, which causes them to go all around the Horn of Africa. They can't go up to Red Red Sea and deliver their goods. Uh, the the pro-Palestinian, what should I call them, coalition of uh, small states is actually causing the the elephant the uh, hook-nosed elephant in the room to fall down and collapse on the table. So it's uh, not looking good for the Israelis. Uh, Kyrgyzstan only has a 4% approval rating for Netanyahu, and uh, his popularity is even lower than Joe Biden's, if that's possible. But I guess it is possible because it is lower than Joe Biden. And, oh, by the way, uh, today I did an interview with with Press TV. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I've actually done uh, a live interview with Press TV on Iranian television. But uh, I'm looking to teach the Iranians, uh, the, the, the Muslims there, about how the fact that the Jews are actually parasites, because they they sent me an article to comment on, and the first couple of sentences, well, uh, the Jews are white. Well, no, they're not. (laughs) The the Jews are chameleons. Whatever society they happen to infest, they take on the characteristics of the host population, and there's no such thing as a pure white Jew. Uh, they, they simulate and impersonate the the race, the racial and cultural characteristics of the people you know, that they uh, they parasitize. And so, I need to elaborate on that and get them on board to understand that the Jews are not the Israelites of the Bible. That's my mission in life, folks. And I will not rest until the whole world. At least those are who are still alive. <laughs> there may not be many still alive at the judgment day. But the whole world of, of those who are still alive will know the truth that the Jews are not Israel and they're total imposters and that they're actually descendants of Cain and are the synagogue of Satan. So anyway, uh, it's been a good day uh, for me to uh, expound on that on Press TV. Feels good to be on live television again. In any case, uh, uh, they promised me a recording of that, and so I'll be promoting that on your folk radio uh, first opportunity. But today we're going to go back to our study of, of three weeks ago, what is God's calendar? And I put the link in the 
chat room. Uh, for those who are unable to get access to our chat room, the website is standinfaith.org forward slash gods dash calendar forward slash. And uh, I'm going to back up because it's been three weeks, so I'm just going to highlight some of the points that this article has made so far. Apparently, uh, it's Dr. Michael Heiser, or at least he's affiliated with this website. I don't know if he's the author. Okay, all right, so here. In the late, okay, he's the late Dr. Michael Heiser. Okay, Uh, his podcast teaching on Revelation chapter 11, he concluded that if you want to understand the various numbers in Daniel's prophecies, i.e. 1260, 1290, 1335, 2300, you must use the Zadokite solar calendar. It's the only calendar that fits. And, of course, the solar calendar is not Jewish. The lunar solar calendar is Babylonian and Jewish. Okay? And he says that from Noah's flood in 2348 B.C. until Antiochus IV Epiphanes changed it in 167 B.C., the evidence clearly proves that the Zadokite calendar, and Zadok was one of the priests of uh, Judah in those days, was the calendar of God's covenant people. Well, what is that? That's a solar calendar. That is a solar calendar. Then he goes into the 150 days of Noah's flood. It also describes it as being five months. And so Noah's flood lasted exactly 150 days. So 5 into 150 gives you 30. So the months are 30 days each. Cannot jive with a lunar solar calendar because the lunar solar calendar or a straight lunar calendar is 29 and a half days or they alternate one month 29 and next month 30. And of course, you cannot reckon Pentecost, which demands an exact 50-day count from the Passover Sabbath or a 49-day count from the Feast of uh, Weeks or the uh, wave sheaf offering. And you cannot get an exact 49 days. And if and a lot of these lunar solar calendars, they start the month off. So let's say you only had a 29-day month. So then they count the next day as the first day of the month. And so... You cannot possibly get a round of seven-day weeks, a 49-day count with that process. It's impossible. You're always going to be off a day or two. And, of course, there's no such thing as a 13th month in Scripture, and that's what the Jewish calendar demands because the lunisolar calendar, since it relies on the moon, cannot give you a 364-day year. It gives you a 354-day year. And so therefore, every few years, they add a 13th month. Nothing in Scripture about that whatsoever. That is just Jewish, plain old Jewish and Babylonian. And he also says here, under Solomon's temple, designed for God's calendar, Solomon's temple is, in fact, a henge. A hinge being a solar observatory that the uh, rising sun would shine through the east, from the east to the west, and the setting sun would shine from the west to the east through the temple. So all the evidence to hand 
is that the Israelites practiced a solar calendar and not a lunar or lunisolar calendar. Okay. So, and then he talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls very briefly. And uh, he did go wrong here uh, because he uh, falsely interprets the Dead Sea Scrolls as dictating a Wednesday as the start of the year. That's incorrect. That's based on the false tradition that most Judeo-Christians have that the that the first day that the sun shone in Genesis was a Wednesday. The first three days, the, the sun did not shine. But that uh, the calendar does not start in Genesis 1. The calendar that Yahweh gave us starts with the Israelites invading Canaan land. That's when our calendar starts. doesn't start any sooner than that. <coughs> and, the, and the 40 years our people dwelt in the desert, that was just practice. Practice, practice, practice for the upcoming solar calendar. And they did not have any uh, wheat and barley to harvest or anything like that. They ate nothing but uh, uh, manna. They had manna and uh, did not have, you know, they weren't butchering cattle uh, for or, or lambs for Passover. That didn't happen until they entered Canaan land, and that occurred in the year 1406 B.C. Okay, and so since we are getting so close to the uh, the spring equinox and the 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 solar uh, the solar eclipse on April 8th, which falls in directly in line with our solar calendar and no other calendar. It only works for the solar calendar. That April 8th, which is during the Feast of Passover with solar reckoning, that eclipse will occur during that week. I believe that's a Monday. So I'm going to start doing a series of shows about the significance of that eclipse and how it's tied into the solar calendar, and the 70th Jubilee from 1406, which happens to be, that's B.C., 1406 B.C., which happens to be 2024 A.D. So that we can say the 70th Jubilee from the day that Joshua and the Israelites invaded Canaan land is about to happen, and that's going to be a major event for prophecy because the number 70 is the number of judgments, okay? The house of Judah had to spend 70 years in Babylon because they failed to observe 70 consecutive years of land Sabbath, so they were punished by, by the number 70. And there's also a, a, other 70s. I can't think of them off the top of my head. But the number 70 is significant, as is, of course, the number 7. So we'll get into a detailed analysis of the eclipses that uh, form the X marks the spot at Macanda, Illinois, the first one being in 2017, that had uh, went from the northwest of America and uh, crossed in totality, hit seven cities in America named Salem, which is quite... A coincidence, <laughs> quite an astonishing coincidence, 
And this next one in 2024 is also going to hit seven cities and towns named Salem. And the crossing spot of the two eclipse paths is Macanda, Illinois. So that, and that's, in fact, they just had recently an earthquake at, uh, what's the name of the, uh, uh, the, uh, the earthquake zone, the fault line, the New Madrid fault line. They just had an earthquake there, and it's possible, conceivable, that there will be a major earthquake there sometime after 2024. I don't expect it to happen right the, uh, on that day, the Day of Atonement in 2024. But that's a precursor. That's a sign for us to get ready. Okay. So that Zadokite calendar and the Dead Sea Scrolls calendar, again, uh, the uh, Judeo-theologians make make major false assumptions. Okay. And then uh, in the book of Revelation, Dr. Heiser talks about 42 months, and that, that which equals 1,260 days. And this is a prophetic cycle. And, of course, I think he mentions the 2,520 days. Uh, does he or doesn't he? Uh, I don't think he does. I don't see it. But the, uh, the seven times prophecy in the book of Leviticus is about the, the number of years that the Israelites will spend in the wilderness before coming out of this punishment. It's seven times punishment. I will punish you seven times for your sin. This is the exact wording of the prophecy. And that began in 745 B.C. when the half-tribe of Manasseh was taken captive by the Assyrians. And then it came true. It, it finished in 1776 with the birth of America, the world's only Christian republic. Okay. So, I'm going to, uh, that's, I think that's all I really need to do to uh, uh, bring us up to date on this article where we left off. And I'm going to continue here with the section of the article entitled, How Israel Transitioned from God's Solar Calendar to a Lunar Calendar. And I'm so grateful for the fact he said Israel and not the Jews, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. After I did the interview, I logged on. Now, maybe they changed the name. I punched in PressTV.com, and I got that message that said Press TV has been seized by the FBI. Now, maybe... They did seize it and shut that down, and maybe they had to get a new URL for Press TV, but they are definitely operating under the, at least in their, what do you call it, in their television and radio mode as PressTV.com. So uh, I sent them a message and asked them about it, but I haven't heard back from them yet. What's, What's up with that, right? How come the FBI seized that URL? So I'll see if I have an answer for that when I get uh, when I get the uh, copy of my interview, which they promised to give me. All right. So let's get back to what is God's calendar, and again, how Israel transitioned from God's solar calendar to a lunar calendar, in view of the clear evidence that the Zadokite solar calendar was and still is God's calendar. 
what caused the Jewish religion to change from the solar calendar to a lunar calendar? All right, uh, class quiz. Did the Jewish religion ever practice the solar calendar? Da 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 da. No, they never did, because the Jews aren't Israelites. First heading under this major section here: overview of the Jewish transition from solar to lunar calendar. And of course, he's assuming the Jews are Israelites. That's why he asks the question. Onias three was the last faithful high priest in Israel. He was a son of Zadok, descended from both Aaron and Levi. His tenure ended in 175 B.C. Now, he could not have gotten this information from the Bible unless you account the Apocrypha as part of the Bible. And there are many Bibles that have the Apocrypha in them, such as the Jerusalem Bible. The original 1611 King James Bible had the Apocrypha in there. And for some reason, the modern King James has deleted those chapters. Well, I wonder why. Maybe the Jews didn't want us to know that we had a solar calendar. Okay, that's quite possible. Anyway, when the non-Israelite, he uses the word Gentile, we don't use that word. When the non-Israelite Antiochus Epiphanes assumed Seleucid rulership over Israel in 175 BC. So it's obviously he's using the word Jew and Israel interchangeably. He replaced Onias III with Onias' brother Jason. Unlike Onias, Jason was a Hellenist who favored Greek culture. He doesn't call him a Gentile there. He calls him a Hellenist, right? And that's the correct translation of the word. Sometimes the word Gentile is translated from nation in both the Hebrew and Greek. And sometimes it's translated from Helene. So if it says Helene, then that means Greek. And so you should probably call them Greeks or Hellenes, and which he does. So he gets it more right than most of the Judeo-Christians. Within three years, Antiochus replaced Jason with a totally corrupt Menelaus of the tribe of Benjamin, who sold precious temple vessels to purchase the position of high priest. He then murdered Onias III after Onias exposed him. Now, it's interesting. It just occurred to me. The first king of Israel was a Benjaminite named Saul. And so the last true high priest of Israel was a Benjaminite also. Very interesting. And, of course, Saul was very corrupt. He was very corrupt. So so was Menelaus. Interesting bookend coincidence there. All right, let me read that whole section again. Within three years, Antiochus replaced Jason with the totally corrupt Menelaus of the tribe of Benjamin, who sold precious temple vessels to purchase the position of high priest. He then murdered Onias III after Onias exposed him. Okay, so we got serious infighting among the priests of Israel. And this is really what began the downfall of the house of Judah in Judea, or in Judah land proper, because the word Judea does not come into being until the Edomites were incorporated into the land of Judah by John Hyrcanus. 
So let's continue. Antiochus and Menelaus changed the calendar from solar to lunar. Okay, so this is from his book entitled The Book of Daniel, Composition and Reception, Volume 2, page 326. Now this is information I am not familiar with, so let me click on the link and hope I can get back to this article quickly. All right, so, okay, let me go back and... uh, Come on. All right. I forgot to memorize the page. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to close this. Volume 2, page 326. So I'm going to... He's got the whole book. It's free online, apparently. But I'll have to... I would have to go through the whole thing to find page 326 of volume 2. So maybe I'll save that for next time. But it looks like, I mean, if he's got evidence, you know, scriptural evidence, even if it's from the Apocrypha, that would be absolutely awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So next bullet point here. In 167, here, let me make a note of it. Okay. Page 326. For next week, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not going get to get finished with this study today. In 167 B.C., Antiochus defiled the temple with pig blood, erected a statue of Zeus, forbade the Sabbath, circumcision, etc. These abominations caused the Maccabean revolt, which the Maccabees won. Following their victory over Antiochus in 164 B.C., Hellenist Jewish leaders, uh, Israelite, Judahite leaders, comprised compromised with their Seleucid Greek rulers by, number one, keeping Menelaus as high priest, and two, keeping the what he calls the Gentiles' lunar calendar, or in this case, the Greek lunar calendar. <coughs> so, with proper translation, this will read, Following their victory over Antiochus in 164 B.C., Hellenist Judahite leaders compromised with their Seleucid Greek rulers by one, keeping Menelaus as high priest, and two, keeping the Greek lunar calendar, or the pagan lunar, or Jewish lunar calendar. You could translate any one of those three ways, and it would be correct, because the Jews are not Israelites. So, uh, yeah, I will have, definitely have to take a look at that documentation from his book and and save that for next week. Next bullet point. As a result of this compromise... Oh, oh let me uh, one more comment here. So this pinpoints the time in which the Judahite priesthood no longer was a hereditary priesthood down from Aaron. This pinpoints the time. But this, again, was an imposition on the house of Judah by the Greeks. And, of course, the Romans did the same thing. And the Pharisees did the same thing. In one case, even importing a high priest from Babylon. From Menelaus, 172 B.C., until the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., 
Goy rulers sold the high priesthood to the highest bidder. There you go. <laughs> that happens even today, folks. The Jewish religion is without a temple or uh, Israelite religion is without a temple or priest since 70 AD. Well, we haven't been without priests, but we've been without a temple. We don't need a temple because we're now no longer offering sacrifices. Fulfilling Yeshua's prophecy, your house is left unto you desolate. And they still haven't been able to perform any sacrifices, that is the Pharisees, since the temple was destroyed by our kinsmen, the Romans. Next heading, details of the Jewish transition from the solar to lunar calendar. Okay, so maybe he gets into enough details here. We'll find out. Onias the third. 199 to 175 B.C. And as I recall, Onias III was a good priest. Yes, he says, Before Antiochus Epiphanes became king, Onias III was the last faithful Aaronic son of Zadok to serve as Judahite high priest. Second Maccabees chapter 4 chronicles the betrayal and intrigue of his downfall. Okay, again, you have to go into the Apocrypha, in this case, Second Maccabees, to get this information. That is Israelite literature, folks. It is our literature. It's not Jewish literature. And Yahshua Messiah himself celebrated the feast, the festival of, the Jews call it the festival of lights or Hanukkah. But it's really the festival of the rededication of the cleansed altar. And Yahshua celebrated that feast day in the New Testament. So it's our feast, not theirs. Yes, so we're we're watching that situation with Press TV. I'll, I'll make an announcement as soon as I can. But this is good. He, he's using the Second Maccabees as a source, which he should because it's our literature. Even if a lot of people don't want to count it as scripture, it is absolutely necessary Israelite history that we have to know. Okay, so let's get back to this. In 175 BC, the new Seleucid ruler Antiochus Epiphanes forced Onias III to yield his office to Jason, his brother. Jason was a Hellenist sympathizer who only occupied the position for three years until 172 B.C., when Menelaus deceptively ousted him. Quote, Jason forthwith brought his own nation to Greekish fashion, unquote, 2 Maccabees 4.10. So, own nation, that's really not a very good translation. It would be his followers. Jason forthwith brought forth his followers to Greekish fashion. We don't know how many of the Judahites who were in the temple followed Jason. There's no way of knowing that. So I think nation is an exaggeration, probably a bad translation. Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, 175 to 163 B.C., After more than seven years as ruler over Judah, 
167 BC, the Seleucid ruler Antiochus IV Epiphanes did two things. He, number one, desecrated the Judahite temple in an abomination of desolation, and he, too, changed the Israelite calendar from solar to lunar, thereby changing God's moedim, his appointed times, and this is in 1 Maccabees 1, verses 41 through 50. So you can see that the books of Maccabees are extremely important. Antiochus polluted the temple with pig's blood on God's altar and erected a statue to Zeus, whose face resembled Antiochus' own likeness. <laughs> well, I think he had it carved that way. Antiochus also outlawed circumcision and Sabbath observance, making violations punishable by death. These abominations resulted in the Maccabean Revolt in 166 B.C. The Maccabees finally defeated Antiochus' army, cleansing and rededicating the temple in 164 B.C. And that's the proper term for the feast day, ladies, the Feast of Dedication, when the altar was rededicated by Judah and Yahshua practiced that. He celebrated that feast. It's only in Maccabees, folks. That's the only place you will find it, in Maccabees, which tells me that First and Second Maccabees are, in fact, Scripture. According to Second Maccabees 5, 14 and 15, Antiochus, guided by Menelaus, killed 80,000 Judahites and sold 80,000 others into slavery. Antiochus Epiphanes died horribly in 164 BC with every bone broken in a chariot accident and his flesh swarming with worms. Oh, that happened to Herod too. Although he didn't have broken bones, but his body was crawling with worms. Menelaus, 172 to 161 BC. In 172 BC, Antiochus put the high priest's office up for auction and Menelaus, a Benjaminite, outbid Jason, deposing him as high priest. So, the hereditary priesthood of Aaron and Levi has ended. Had ended with Onias III. And Menelaus is the first usurper. And from this point on, the hereditary priesthood, even though there were Levites in Judah, Walking the earth, even when Yahshua was an adult, nevertheless, the, the Le- Levitical priesthood had served its function when uh, Yahshua Messiah was crucified on the cross, because he is our Pasha, our Pasha Lamb. Let's continue. Menelaus didn't have the money t- he bid for his sacred office. Oh, he, you mean he didn't borrow it from the Jews? So he stole sacred temple vessels to raise the sum he needed. A crook. A crook in Israel. How about that, folks? When Onias III heard of this, he publicly accused Menelaus of robbing the temple. To quiet him, Menelaus sent assassins who killed Onias III. So when our people begin assassinating one another, that's a sign that the future is not going to be kind to our people. Okay. All right, let's continue here. Changing the calendar from solar to lunar. 
According to Second Maccabees, which we quoted earlier, Menelaus is responsible for persuading Antiochus to Hellenize Judahite worship, including changing the Judahite calendar from solar to lunar in 167 BC. After the Judahite Maccabee victory over Antiochus and the recapture of Jerusalem in 164 BC, Maccabean leaders made a political decision to keep the corrupt Menelaus as high priest in the restored and cleansed Judahite temple. Jesus was not a Jew either. Quote, despite their firm opposition to the Hellenists, the Maccabees retained the newly introduced lunar calendar. That's a quotation from his book, which is entitled The Book of Daniel Composition, oh, same page, volume 2, page 327. So I'll definitely access that volume for next week. Because that is, if he's got the details on that, that would be fantastic. Anyway, the corrupt Menelaus occupied the high priest's office for 11 years, from 172 B.C. until his execution by Antiochus' successor in 161 B.C. Serves you right, Menelaus! Divided Judah from 164 B.C. to 73 A.D. Okay. That's that's a good uh, time period. Following the Judahite Maccabees victory over Antiochus in 164 BC, Judahite leaders comprised or compromised with their Seleucid rulers, keeping the lunar calendar. This compromise caused a split between Hellenistic and traditional Judahite religious groups, the ones who obeyed Moses. Hellenist Judahites mixed Greek culture with Judahite traditions. As a result, they adopted the lunar calendar, liberalized Torah observance, elevated oral traditions, and canceled God's requirement that high priests be descendants of Aaron, i.e. Menelaus. Now that's a major shift of tradition to do away with the hereditary priesthood, folks. Now I'm wondering if this is also the time when the Pharisees arose. Were the Pharisees Hellenists? I believe from previous research that I've done, they were anti-Hellenist. But they were not part of the uh, Maccabean revolt. So they kind of stood off to the side, maybe to wait and see who turned out to be victorious, right? Okay. Fence straddlers? This is an interesting question. I think if I can get get the answer to to that before next week, I'll do that as well. Okay. In contrast, traditional Jewish Judahite leaders, when I read too fast, I I slur my speech. Judahite leaders believed in keeping the solar calendar, following the Torah, and restricting the priesthood to the sons of Levi slash Zadok. So the calendar that Brother Abair and I have worked out is totally solar and totally based chapter and verse on Scripture. Chapter and verse on Scripture. But with Judah under Seleucid rulership, this party lacked any political support to exist As a result, they left Jerusalem shaking the dust from their feet 
to form a monastic community in the desert wilderness at Qumran. Huh. I'm not sure that community was formed this early. Possibly. But uh, I could see, I can definitely see that the Essenes would have split with the Pharisees and Sadducees over the solar versus lunar calendar. I can see that. So maybe he is correct about the dating of Qumran here. Continuing, in Qumran, the Zadokites saw themselves as the sons of Zadok. In Ezekiel's apocalyptic temple prophecy. Now maybe that's where the term Essene comes from, from Ezekiel. It's possible. Let's continue. Next heading. The sons of Zadok prophecy in Ezekiel. The Zadokites in Qumran considered the Hellenists in Jerusalem to be apostates from Yahweh. Thank you very much for using the correct name. While they considered themselves to be the prophetic sons of Zadok in Ezekiel. Oh, they did. Okay. So, yeah, it's quite likely then that the term Essene comes from Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel lived 400 years before the events of 167 B.C. Within his end-time temple prophecies, Ezekiel prophesied explicitly about apostate priests versus the sons of Zadok, who who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, unquote, Ezekiel 44, verse 15. Now, is that actually a prophecy, or is it simply a reminiscence of a past event? However, Many of the prophecies in Scripture are stated in the past tense when their application is actually future. So, apostate priests. Excuse me one second. I had to wet my whistle here. About the apostate priests, Ezekiel wrote, quote, Surely the Levites who wandered away from me when Israel went astray and who wandered away from me after their idols, will bear the consequences of their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having charge of the gates of the temple and ministering there. They shall slaughter the burnt offerings and other sacrifices for the people and stand before them to minister them. Now, it's interesting. This brings up, in my mind, Matthew chapter 23 where he talks about the Pharisees uh, being uh, sitting in, the, in Moses' seat. Now, maybe some of those Pharisees were still uh, uh, renegade, Zadokite priests, but I don't think so because Herod had already assassinated the entire Sanhedrin and replaced them with Edomites. But nevertheless, they would be in a similar situation right, because the rulings issued by the priests at, at, at the gate were in open air and available to the public, and the public could witness these uh, hearings and trials, and would they would certainly notice if one of the priests violated the Mosaic law and made up his own law. So when they when these priests, when these Pharisees were sitting in Moses' seat. They wouldn't dare violate the Mosaic law in public. Behind the scenes, yes, 
but there would be too many people around who would know the law and say, hey, wait a minute, you, you, you misapplied the law here. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're supposed to have the Mosaic law in your, in your, in your mind, in your heart, in your scriptures. What, what are you doing by violating the Mosaic law as a judge? You didn't do that. And so it's not likely for them to do that in public. Continuing. Because they ministered before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I swore with an uplifted hand concerning them that they would bear the consequences of their iniquity. So even though they're still serving in the temple, they will still have to suffer the consequences of their iniquity, declares Yahweh Elohim. They must not approach me to serve me as priests or come near any of my holy things or the most holy things. They will bear the shame of the abominations they have committed. Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 10 through 13. Fascinating stuff here, folks. Yeah, sort of like the RCC selling indulgences, right? And what else What else are they selling too, Right? The bodies of little boys and girls. Next heading, godly priests. Ezekiel then proceeded writing, quote, But the Levitical priests, who are descended from Zadok and who kept my charge of my sanctuary, when the Israelites went astray from me, are to approach me to minister before me. They will stand before me to offer me fat and blood, declares Yahweh Elohim. They alone shall enter my sanctuary and draw near to my table to minister before me. They will keep my charge. In regard to their inheritance, I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel, for I am their possession. And, of course, we know that with Menelaus, the hereditary priesthood came to an end. And this is total violation of Israelite and Mosaic law, folks. Total violation of Mosaic and Yahweh's law. So it's amazing how few Christian theologians pay attention to that fact. The Zadokites in in Qumran applied Ezekiel's sons of Zadok prophecy to themselves, believing the Jerusalem Hellenizers were the Levites who wandered away from Yahweh. Uh, Wait a minute. Does it say the Levites wandered away? It says when the Israelites, it says here, oh, but the, who, bah, 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 bah. let me read this again. But the Levitical priests who are descended from Zadok and who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to approach me to minister before me. So I think he's misidentifying the Levites with the Zadokites here. Okay, I think he's. I think he made a mistake here. So let's continue. All right, continuing now. The Zadokites dwelt in Qumran for more than 100 years until the Romans destroyed their community between 68 to 73 A.D. I wonder if there were Levites among them as well, even though they were no longer performing the sacrificial rituals. They probably were looking for something to do. <laughs> The Jewish, oh, no, you did it to me again. You fooled me. 
the Israelite religion from 73 AD to today. Oh, now wait a minute. No, he could be right. Because Judaism had its inception during the days of Herod. And so now we're talking about modern Judaism, which would be the Jewish religion. From 73 AD to today. Now we're talking about real Jews. For more than 1,800 years after the Romans destroyed the Qumran community until a boy discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946, that's the year I was born. The world forgot everything about the Zadokites' beliefs, their writings, and God's calendar. You can say that again. (laughs) Okay. That's correct. And the Jews did their absolute best to hide the Dead Sea Scrolls from the world, forbidding non-Jewish scholars from accessing them for over 20 years before there was such an outrage from non-Jewish scholars that they finally had to open the floodgates. But I think that gave them time to mess with the text. I wouldn't doubt that at all. But obviously many of these texts, or just to hide them, many of these texts were so in such bad shape that it was like... Uh, a a 10,000 piece jigsaw puzzle to put some of these texts back together. Yet, people did that. That's how much they uh, revered the scriptures. They actually did stuff like that. And then they developed techniques to scan paper because a lot of of the parchment had been overwritten. It was uh, parchment from another text and it was overwritten, and so with modern computer scanning techniques, they could actually decipher both texts, both what was originally written and what was overwritten. Let's continue. The Bible, Talmud, Mishnah, etc. As Winston Churchill famously said, history is written by the victors. Regarding God's calendar, the historical victors so far are the proponents of Hellenistic Judaism. Well, Judaism is not Hellenistic. It's Edomite. Bullet point. The Zadokites fled from Jerusalem in 167 B.C., becoming a marginalized... Well, now Jewish is... Oh, no, no. We're just talking B.C. Marginalized Judahite sect in the desert under the Seleucids. Then the Romans completely destroyed them around 67 to 73 A.D., and they disappeared from history until a boy discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946. Well, now if they totally wiped them out, well, no, he says they disappeared from history. It doesn't say they were wiped out. So they still could be considered Essenes, which I think is the argument he's making here. Meanwhile, Hellenistic Hellenistic Judaism, which is really a contradiction in terms, there is no such thing as Hellenistic Judaism, Edomite Judaism, Talmudic Judaism, continued in Jerusalem temple under the Seleucids and then the Romans until the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and exiled surviving Judahites and Jews from their land in 70 AD. But even as exiles among the nations for almost two millennia, their version of Hellenistic Judaism still survives today. Well, it was begun in Judea from 121 B.C., to 73 AD because 121 BC is the year that John Hyrcanus began circumcising Edomites and making them citizens 
of now the combined nation of Judah and Edom, forever known henceforth as Judea. Therefore, since both the Pharisees, oh, since before the Pharisees and Sadducees existed, and 1600 years before Gothenburg invented the printing press, the world has only known the Jewish, the Talmudic version of Judaism, and there's only that's the only version there is, the Talmudic version of Judaism, because Judaism is not the same as Mosaism. It's the repudiation of the Mosaic law, as Yahshua Messiah accused the Pharisees of being, that they invented their own tradition. I mean, it's as clear as day in the New Testament that they invented their own tradition, and their own tradition was anti-Mosaic, because he said, had you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, and they don't believe Moses. They invented their own religion. It's called Judaism. And their, in their version, now Judaism does use the Goy lunar calendar. Fast forward to today. All Jewish and Christian writers, Bible translators, and publishers assume the Jewish religion's 2100-year-old lunar calendar is correct. Since it's so ancient, all our Bible translations and seminaries have this perspective that's correct. And this is just another uh, item you can add to the Masoretic text, the distortion by the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Scriptures, the changing of the calendar. So, next heading, with about 10 minutes left, what is God's calendar? This section briefly describes the Zadokite calendar and its benefits. Use the hyperlinked resources at the end of this article for more detailed study. Description, bullet point. In the Zadokite calendar, the year always contains 364 days. And that's the Essene calendar, which we have studied in depth. It's, it's actually a repeat of the Enoch calendar. And that's the calendar that the Israelites used, as uh, Michael Heiser is correctly asserting here, that the Israelites did not use a lunar or lunisolar calendar. They used a strictly solar calendar. They simply counted days. They didn't have to observe the crescent moon. They didn't observe a 13th month, etc. Each year consists of 12 months of 30 days each, plus four additional days, one of which is intercalated, added, inserted at the end of each three-month period. These are the 91st days as expressly stated in the Book of Enoch and also in the Book of Jubilees, which are Israelite books, not Jewish books. Sub-bullet point. For example, the first and second months are 30 days long, while the third month totals 31 days. Then the pattern repeats. Of course, the, the beginning of each uh, quarter is an equinox or a solstice, and the Hebrew word for both those terms is tekufa. The tekufa is the day after the 91st day. So it is the equinox slash solstice slash equinox slash solstice. Those are the four tekufas of the Hebrew calendar. So let me repeat this. The first and second months are 30 days long, while the third month totals 31 days. Then the pattern repeats. Each three-month period is 91 days long. 
four 91-day quarters combined in a 364-day year. New Year's Day and the first day of each quarter always falls on a Wednesday. That's incorrect. That is an assumption that theologians make based on Genesis chapter 1 because the sun did not make uh, an appearance in the sky until the fourth day. Well, let's see, I guess third day. Somebody correct me if uh, if it's a big deal. The uh, <laughs> I think they count day 1 as a Sunday. Uh, then Monday, Tuesday, then Wednesday would be the fourth day. But the, the Bible does not count the calendar yet. It doesn't count the calendar until the Israelites invade Canaan land. So, again, a major oversight by the vast majority of theologians. Okay, so, but, you know, we're talking about Judeo-Christianity, so what do you expect? Anyway, Wednesday is a day mandated as the first day of the creation day order. See, that's that's the assumption they make, and that's false. It's absolutely false. Because, number one, number two... They weren't literal 24-hour days. They were yams. They were eras. They were eons. And I would say at least a 1,000 years per eon, not 24-hour days. And that you can prove just from reading Genesis because it says the evening and the morning were a day, but the evening and the morning is only 12 hours. Okay, so you can't get 24 hours. No matter how you cut it, you can't get 24-hour days from Genesis 1. Simply cannot do it. Okay. So, yeah, here's where the assumption comes in, the Wednesday assumption. Since the heavenly light, sun, moon, and stars, the basis of all calendars, were created on the fourth day. No, they weren't. They weren't created on the fourth day. They just became visible on the fourth day because the earth was covered by a uh, volcanic smoke haze. For the first three days. That's what was really going on. Nevertheless, the sun still still shone through those clouds. And you had a difference between day and night. It's just like if you have a very, very cloudy day, there's still a difference between day and night. That's what was really going on in Genesis. Okay, and uh, I'm going to, oh, let's see. Yeah, I'll conclude with this section here. A particular day of any given month will always fall on the same day of the week every year. Yeah, with the solar calendar. And so you will celebrate your birthday on the same date and the same day of the week every year. Unless, of course, you were born in a leap year. <laughs> in which case, you can take your pick. You can uh, celebrate it on the last day of the current year or the first day of the next year. You get to choose. You are free to choose. Isn't it nice to be free to choose? But that's pretty much the same deal that the people born on February 29th have. So, the, well, what, what, when do they celebrate it? February 28th or March 1st? Pick the day you like. Okay. Or don't celebrate it at all. We're not instructed to celebrate our birthdays anyway in the scriptures. Okay? That's just a that's a human tradition, a churchianity tradition. Even Christmas. The Bible doesn't instruct us to celebrate the birth of Christ. I mean you can if you want to, but there's no order. Now, isn't it funny? 
how the Judeo-Christian churches will not celebrate the feast days, but they'll celebrate a man-made tradition called Christmas and Easter and uh, Sweetest Day, uh, National Secretary's Day, Valentine's Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and blah, blah, blah. But they won't celebrate the Hebrew feast days, which are mandated. We are mandated to commemorate them. We are instructed to commemorate them, which means you do that every year. Just as in the Last Supper, we commemorate it by having a Last Supper feast. We don't have to kill a lamb because that's a blood sacrifice. We And actually, if you do sacrifice a lamb, you're breaking the covenant because he is our one and only sacrifice. You're not supposed to sacrifice animals for the remission of sins ever again. That was the one and only and last sacrifice, as Paul clearly tells us. Okay. And then he says, Festivals occur on the same day each year and never on a Saturday. No, there is no Saturday Sabbath. (laughs) Okay, the first day of the year is a Sabbath, clearly instructed to us in the book of Leviticus. And that's what we go by. The first day of the year is a Sabbath. Day one is a Sabbath, and every seventh day thereafter is a Sabbath. And that makes the 91st day a Sabbath. And every seventh day thereafter, a Sabbath until the last day of the year. That's the clear instruction from the Bible. Okay, folks, this calendar issue is very important. Number one, we're instructed to keep the feast days, so we have to keep them on the right day of the year. Not the Jewish day of the year. Plus, they're prophetic. The feast days and the feast day calendar has prophetic significance. Especially the fall feasts have prophetic significance for the end times, which we're going to get into between now and April 8th, when we have that fantastic eclipse. I'm praying praying to Yahweh already that we have a clear sunny day, which we had in 2017. What was August 21st, I believe it was? 2017? So we got this seven-year period between the two eclipses, and we have seven cities named Salem, or cities and towns named Salem, on each eclipse path. What are the odds? Any mathematicians in the chat room? What are the odds? What are the the odds are astronomical, to say the least. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Oh, wow, no, I didn't hit the mute button. I may have accidentally hit something, though. Oh, man. Okay, so that just happened. Yeah, I think I hit my microphone with my hand. Oh, okay. Okay, sorry about that, but it was right toward the end. So I'm going to have to cue out of here. And so thanks for listening. Praise the Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.